Today on the pod, we've got a Desmond for you. That means two, two, two sequels to be precise. Wreck-It Ralph 2, Ralph Breaks the Internet, where we find out what happens in the dark, dark web. But a safe dark web, not the dark, dark, dark web. And then following that, we're going to go into our review of Creed 2. Sylvester Stallone's swan song as the beloved Rocky character. But in its own right, it kicks ass. Stay tuned. In a cloud where there are already too many film podcasts, you have to ask yourself, what's the harm in one more? Two ordinary men armed with unqualified opinions. Talk Filmy to Me. Hello, welcome to the Talk Filmy to Me podcast, a film podcast about news, entertainment, general pop culture. It is the podcast that finds itself in contempt because it heard about that in the government and just fought back to liar liar when Jim Carrey was chucked out of that courtroom. Anyway, speaking about other people that have been chucked out of courtrooms, that leads me to my co-host for this evening. You may know him as John. I know him as Deska. You may know him as Crick, but don't call him late for dinner. Anyway, John, how are you doing, pal? <laughs> I'm pretty good. I'm getting over a, a cold, but isn't everyone at this time of year? How are you, Flinty? You know what? I'm doing. I'm doing all right, John. Uh, as mentioned on our Twitter account, we had to take a pause in recording for a couple of weeks because we had a few emergencies pop up, which required uh, to take some time out of work and stuff. But but all good. And thank you to all the people that have been messaging us, uh, asking if everything's okay and everything else. Yes, everything is fine. Course resumes. Normality is here to talk filmy with you. Speaking of which, shall we crack on with our first review of the week? Oh, let's go. Wiffy, or is it wifey? It is new. It is different. And- and therefore, we should fear it. I'm freaking out hard. Let's go! <laughs> so, Wreck-It Ralph. A uh, film came out about six years ago by Disney Animation Studios when they first started doing uh, digital animated films. You might think of stuff like uh, Big Hero 6, Moana, all that cool stuff. Uh, obviously, they've been dipping their toe in digital animation for a little while outside the Pixar universe. And and uh, it was, a, I thought, an interesting movie. The original premise was basically a video game cultured movie i thought it didn't deliver on its original premise of the first film it was kind of sold as a hey here's a tongue-in-cheek look at video games and it felt more like a an ad for candy crush rather than what it could have been um but that being said it was very charming it was a very a beautiful story at heart where it had uh, john c Riley, lisa silverman tonight oh sorry sarah silverman just to name a few of the vocal talents in that well this is the sequel uh, set six years later and uh, if you've seen the first film actually before i go into that john what do you think of the first film uh, do you know what? I, it's a film i put off for a while because i had i think i had pixar fatigue um but I, when I finally got around to watching it, I absolutely loved it. I loved the. Obviously, I come from a computer game industry background, so I, I loved all of that. I do agree with you. It, it could have gone further with that. It was some, uh, you know, like Ready Player One had some rip great sort of uh, nods to the games industry. This one, not so much. Yeah, a bit too kiddie friendly Candy Crush saga. But um, yeah, took me by surprise. I loved it. So very up for this I one think one of the reasons why it probably wasn't uh, so good in terms of pulling on all those deep cuts that if you sold this premise of this amazing animated video game inspired film is that it didn't actually have much video games in there i mean you saw some street fighter characters and you saw some tributes paid to to games of yesteryear and everything else but i can imagine there was a licensing issue in terms of getting rights and likenesses and all that sort of stuff i'm anyway, sure there was about the past Let's talk about the the future of this uh, film franchise at the moment. So the sequel, uh, 
Ralph breaks the internet, colon, Wreck-It Ralph 2. It's basically set six years after the first film where, where Ralph and Vanellope are basically living their best life. They're, they're playing their games during the day and at night they're hanging out, being best of friends in a really platonic, charming way. <laughs> um, basically, what has happened is Vanellope's machine is broken and the owner realises he needs to go onto eBay to, to bid for a part because they stopped making this game years ago and unfortunately doesn't have the money to pay for the part. But then all of a sudden, while searching on eBay, he set up a modem that connected all of the, the video games to the internet and this is where it opens up a new world of possibilities. And this film has been very much positioned as the tongue-in-cheek mirror up to society about internet culture. And basically the premise of the story is that Ralph and Vanellope go onto the internet to try and invade eBay to get the video game uh, parts that is needed to fix her machine. Now, upon their journey, Vanellope meets lots of different interesting internet people, one of them being a character played by Gal Gadot. She's playing a character in another video game, which is essentially GTA Online, and it's a match made in heaven for Vanellope because she loves the violence, the gore, the racing, the and everything else in between of that. And it becomes... I don't want to go into spoiler territory after that, but basically Ralph gets jealous and tries to, to throw a spanner in the works. Um, it's very charming in terms of friendships and making sure that uh, friendships work both ways and all that sort of thing. And this does, I think, deliver on the promise of a bit of a tongue-in-cheek um, look at how the internet culture is. It, it very much plays off of uh, YouTube, which is kind of weird because they say the word Google a lot, and there's lots of clear sponsorship from Google in this. People use the Chrome browser, for example, all that sort of stuff. But they won't call the video service YouTube. They call it like BuzzTube or something. It's like just, just weird. It, just, it really takes you out of it for a second, which is a bit weird. Anyone who works in digital marketing will probably find lots of little underhanded little jokes in this. Like, for example, every annoying uh, email comes from MailChimp, which is actually a system used for sending uh, annoying newsletters and all that sort of thing. Some real deep cuts um, in terms of internet culture from that perspective. The humour, you know, it's great. There's some really good catchy jokes in this. The animation looks on point, um, even though obviously we've moved six years now in terms of animation style. So it has improved, but it hasn't made the previous film look in fact, um, I watched the first film and then took my daughter to go see the second film. My daughter's only 18 months old and she sat through and loved it to the point that she stood on her chair and went, more afterwards. <laughs> so um, I think that says it all, really. Voice cast-wise, John C. Riley is great in this. Sarah Silverman's uh, hilarious as Vanellope. Gal Gadot plays a very Gal Gadot character. They wouldn't dare make it anything less than she's an inspiring, awesome, kick-ass woman. Um, also, just the general voice cast you remember from before. So Jane Lynch, who played the, um, uh, I think her name Calhoun, the the weird woman from the shooting game, who ended up basically marrying uh, the guy who was kind of a rip-off uh, Super Mario brother I think he was called Felix that was it Felix Fixage remember the, the game from that and, uh, and everything else uh, some really interesting pieces in this film there's an interesting bit where um, they go to Vanellope goes to basically Disney World uh, if it was the internet and there's a scene where she accidentally stumbles upon every Disney princess in a room now this scene has been used in the trailers a lot and it's been shared on social media tons and even though it has been shared with literally the whole world a million times over it is still very funny even though you've seen it just seeing it in context of the film it, is, it, it delivers on its promise very well 
And what I really like about this is that it isn't too preachy about making sure that we've got more equal rights in terms of the, the gender pivot at the moment of, of leading characters. Ralph has his moment to shine. He also has his moment to be a bit of an arse. And it's not at the expense or or gratitude of, of other characters. So that's that's great. The only thing this film lacks is an antagonist and to a point where it has to create its own antagonist because there's nothing there. And that kind of makes it feel a bit empty. Um, so it kind of wavers from that perspective. The first three quarters of this film, really charming, really funny. Like I say, the kid loves it, so that's always a bonus. But for me, it just didn't have an antagonist, which meant there was no high stakes, really. And uh, yes, he does break the internet, uh, but they have missed a massive opportunity here as well. During the film... Um, Ralph realises that he needs to raise money to pay for his part of eBay. And the easiest way to do that is through internet videos, apparently. And um, <laughs> he decides to do lots of internet videos and campaigns and everything else. Now, the marketing team over at Disney Animation Studios have missed an easy opportunity here because they would have had they would have made this stuff like a year ago. Why didn't they just start dropping these videos on YouTube like as an unknown alias and then actually build it up and have Ralph take over YouTube for a day and say he breaks the internet. I don't know. Anyway, um, they should be speaking to the people who do Deadpool marketing, so they probably could have done <laughs> two of that sort of stuff. I think you're angling for a, for a marketing job at Disney there, Flinty. Uh, to be honest, uh, they'll just go through my Twitter history and sack me of internet, like they seem to do with any, anyone there, so maybe not. But um, it is a really enjoyable experience. It's really, really charming. There's some really great elements to this. Of course, it is a stereotypical animated movie. You will come out of a big smile on your face. And yes, of course, Imagine Dragons do the soundtrack because they seem to do the soundtrack to every chuffing movie at the moment. <laughs> but that being said, it is still great. I think it is definitely better than the original is it better than Big Hero 6 or, or Moana? Mm, probably not. But that's, that being said, it's still a great experience. And like I say, the kid loves it. So if that's anything to go by, then take your kids to it and go enjoy it. I'm going to go four out of five. Lovely. I've got a couple of questions before we move on. No, go for it. So it's a PG. Obviously, it can't go to... I mean... The whole joke about the internet is it's such a dark and horrible place at times. So, I mean, are they do they kind of struggle to show that part of it because it is such a kid-friendly film? Uh, no, no, good question, though. Um, I think what they've managed to do is... So, essentially, without going into spoiler territory, Ralph wants to get something really horrible for the internet because he wants the internet to break for a certain reason. And to do that, he goes to the dark web... And when they said, we're going to go to the dark web, I was like, oh, my fucking God. How are they going to pull this off in a kid-friendly way? But they've done it. They managed to make it look like a, a horrible sewer. Obviously, they don't talk about the things that are on the dark web. They just talk about things like viruses and malware and, and the kind of dark web, not the real dark web, because the real dark web should never be in a Disney film. Um, but it, it does it in a way which kind of makes it funny. Um, they, also, they also actually highlight... Um, in a positive way, I think, uh, slamming culture, you know, for lack of a better word, uh, negative comments. So they expose what happens and their feelings that people will get from negative comments. And I think it's done in a really tasteful way, which is a good lesson to kids, which is uh, messages that you post up, someone might read and they don't want to read it. And it might be really upsetting the stuff that you're putting. So think about what you're going to put. That being said as well, 
they kind of say never read the comments because <laughs> there's always bad people out there which yeah. I have learned from being a podcast host for the last year <laughs> <laughs> so it's sort of they're trolling the trolls yeah definitely definitely and there's like I say it's, it does some serious stuff it also it, it pokes fun at the Disney princess formula like I say that, that famous scene with the, the Disney princesses they kind of have this uh, joke of um, oh, can all your problems be solved by a man and uh and there was another one where, oh, everyone, and if you don't know what to do, just start singing. And eventually, Vanellope has a big song dance number, which is completely un-Disney princess-like. And it's just so hilarious about wanting to be in this murderous, bloodthirsty game. And that's where her real home is. And yeah, it's, it's hilarious. And it's, it's done in a very awesome way. Uh, you can obviously tell that comedy people at the heart in terms of the vocal talent. Obviously, Mr. Riley and, and Miss Silverman are fantastic comedians. And you can tell that shows in, in their voice acting abilities as well. And do you, I mean, does this, does this film have any longevity? Is it at risk of being a bit of a topical pantomime gag, you know, that where you reference Facebook and then, you know, the next year something else is more relevant? Yeah, I, I think the writing, I mean, you know, when you've got people like, and although, I, although I'm not saying he's a good person, but I'm just saying that he's a good, he's a good, uh, he's a good filmmaker. John Lannister was actually a producer on this, which means you've got Pixar talent uh, involved in this. And also the writing talent of these people, you think about, uh, like I said before, Big Hero 6, Moana, Frozen, they're all, they're all classics to, to certain generations. And because of the writing styles and they kept it relevant. Now you could easily compare this to the Emoji movie that came out earlier this year. Now the Emoji movie is basically a film at the moment and it was a fucking shit film at the moment. Although it had interesting voice talent, the story was terrible, it was based on topics which are fleeting at the same time, there's nothing in there that's going to keep you coming back. Now Wreck-It Ralph 2 really does avoid that. It's not the Emoji movie whatsoever. It's, it's a Ralph movie that's set in the internet. It had a premise way before the concept came in of the for making this an internet-based movie. And it'd be interesting to see where they could take, take this next. So they kind of talked about, um, obviously the first game was in an arcade. The second film is now on the World Wide Web. And what does that mean? Maybe there's something to do with smart home tech they could do because that's kind of where where you know the internet's entering every room and every house now. So there's lots of interesting premises they can go or they can go somewhere completely different or they can just leave it at two because they don't have to do everything as a trilogy. I've seen you in your smart house, Flinty, with your gadgets. It's like visiting the have, future. I'll have Ralph uh, turning my lights on and off and upping my heating and <laughs> opening my front door. But, um, so there, you, doorbell. Go, there you have it. Four out of five. Ralph breaks the internet. Okay, here we go. Out of my way, kid. Pancake. Pancake, 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 eat little bunny, eat, eat, eat. Uh, Ralph, you might want to try feeding the kitty for a little while. Bunny gets the pancake. News. So, news this week. Obviously, it's been a couple of weeks since we've done a pod, and there's a few things that have dropped over those couple of weeks, which, if I've done everything, will be here for a month of Sundays, and... Knowing the audience that listens to this podcast, you probably know the vast majority of the stuff already that's happened over the last couple of weeks. So I'll just keep it fresh. But there was one thing I did want to gauge your reaction on, John. So a few weeks ago, it was announced that uh, DreamWorks are going to be rebooting Shrek. Um, you remember the the Mike Myers classic uh, Green Green uh, Ogre movie of Eddie Murphy and all that sort in there? I mean, they survived for four films. i got to say, to be honest, it kind of didn't do very well. <laughs> after the second one but um that being said obviously it's got it 
it holds a great place in a lot of people's hearts. And um, they've said they're going to be rebooting this, but they'd love the original voice cast to come back. They just kind of want to go in a different story direction and uh, maybe a different animation style. Is Shrek a beloved thing for you, John, or do you honestly not give a shit? Where does this sit for you? Oh, Shrek 1 has a special place in my heart, along with many people's hearts, especially of our age. I think Shrek is a, an amazing movie with an amazing soundtrack. It introduced me to some really cool artists. So, um, yeah, big fan of Shrek. No, fair enough. I've, I, I'm kinda, I've, I love the original. I love the. I love some of the, the. I remember there's just there's one bit where it was the mirror and he goes, "She lives with seven guys, but she ain't easy." And I was just like, "Oh, that's so funny." <laughs> they put that in a kids' film. And they, yeah, they they pulled it off. It's hilarious. But um, yeah, I think after the second one, it really does kind of take a bit of a nosedive. Um, as long I'm happy for him to reboot this, even though it's not been too long. But saying that, since the last Shrek film. It has been a number of years, which means there is a generation of kids out now that are probably four or five that have never seen Shrek, they have no idea what the musical that keeps being banged on about in London, have no idea what the show is, have no no clue about it at all because it just didn't come out at their time sort of thing. Not saying that parents wouldn't replay it for them, but, but there is a, there will be a percentage of kids that have never heard of this. So this is kind of a Shrek for a new generation, which feels really weird considering it wasn't that long ago these films were out. But um, mm. if they're redoing it, then that's great. There's only one thing I really hope they don't do, and that is, for the love of fucking God, please do not make another Shrek film where the premise of the movie is he wants everyone to be out of his swamp and he wants to go back to his swamp, and then he realises that people are good and he wants to have people again. <laughs> because you've told that story four times in a row already. <laughs> please just go off in another direction. Absolutely. I really do hope that they maybe do a partnership with Sony or something because Sony Animation Studios are doing some really good stuff at the moment. Uh, the new Spider-Man movie, Into the Spider-Verse, which we'll be reviewing next week because uh, we're on embargo at the moment, is absolutely brilliant. I can't say any more than that, but um, I'm really excited to see the work that those guys do now. Other work these uh, this studio has done is Cloudy of a Chance of Meatballs. You know that's, that was an amazing uh, animated movie. I'd love for those guys to get involved with Shrek and uh, kind of take it in a new direction. I think this new Spider-Man movie is going to actually open up lots of different avenues of animation and our appetite for that animation. Obviously, they're not reinventing the wheel, but it's just making it more popularised. And I'm hoping that they can learn from that and maybe apply this to Shrek. I'm happy with the original voice cast. It doesn't really feel like a reboot when you're getting everyone back again but that being said um yeah i think we've talked that one to death so anyway moving on to stuff that's a bit more relevant to the last week or so so um last night captain marvel the trailer dropped uh, the big the big trailer for this the whole world was with bated breath hoping to see an avengers 4 trailer but to satisfy those urges we got a Mar captain marvel trailer which did not disappoint the only thing is is that it's basically the teaser one they done a few weeks ago just extended that being said, it still looks fucking awesome. I can't wait to see Brie Larson in this. I love everything she does, and I think she's going to be kick-ass. Did you have a chance to see this one? No, but I like Brie Larson too, so I'll agree with that. <laughs> there we go. You know who else I like, John? <laughs> who? Tom Hanks. Who doesn't like Tom Hanks? He's got a good future. Well, it turns out Disney absolutely chuffing loves him. Not only is he Woody or he's played Walt Disney in that Saving Mr. Banks movie, he has played voices on 
and tons of other characters as well and he is being eyed up to play a live version of Geppetto in the live action Pinocchio movie that is being lined up now I didn't care about Pinocchio that much growing up if I'm being honest and when I heard they were doing the live action adaptation I was like nah so so but now they've got Tom Hanks like I'm him up for this I'm sold I want to see this movie oh this, this has got me very excited but do you find it strange Tom Hanks is really entering a new era of you know old man era and it's it's making me question everyone's mortality it's kind of depressing but exciting as well um i think this is a great acquisition though i think uh i think pinocchio's got legs it's been it's one of those you know shrek was around 10 years ago let's be honest pinocchio that dessert that's a film that deserves a proper remake proper reboot let's see what they can do um mm. so yeah excited that was uh, quick fire question what's your favorite tom hanks movie that's a really hard question um there's so many from my childhood it was big but i mean the best one is forrest gump i i think i love forrest gump and i love catch me if you can as well oh that is really hard maybe we should do a feature about this like what's your favorite tom hanks movies and why but um growing up for me um yeah i'd agree big was pretty awesome i really enjoyed splash and i don't know because that movie must have resonated with me because um my wife holly when i bought a home for the first time to meet my parents you made her put a mermaid suit on yeah i dressed up as a mermaid john (laughs) no i got to dress up as john candy actually (laughs) (laughs) Uh, first thing my mum said to me was she is the spitting image of that woman in Splash. And I didn't realise it, but my wife is actually the spitting image of of I can't remember. It was a was it I can't remember some was it Kim Basinger? I can't remember. There was a a, a famous eighties model in this film playing the mermaid and my wife is actually the spitting image of her and I was just like oh my god I was obsessed with that film <laughs> growing up. I literally went and found my mermaid. That's incredible. And anyway, uh, and uh, later Tom Hanks, I'm gonna have to go with Oh, I love. I do love Forrest Gump, so I've said on several occasions on this pod. But oh, Apollo thirteen. I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna say it and probably regret it at another pod. But there we go. That aside, let's talk about other actors. So Christian Bale. Um, he you saw the trailer for Vice uh, a couple of months ago where he plays Dick Cheney and uh, and everything else, and that looks fantastic. Directed by Adam McKay, the guy who done the Anchorman movies, which John I know you love. Mm. Um, interesting story has come out recently. Christian Bale is such a good method actor. We knew this before with films like The Machinist and all that stuff. He likes to get under the skin of a character. He really does embody them. He will change physically. Uh, from remember American Hustle where he put on all that weight, and even now for for this uh, role vice he was given the option to wear a fat suit and prosthetics but no he piled on the pounds to look as much like he can like dick cheney anyway as part of his method research he investigated a lot about heart attacks because of a, a narrative point in the film is that he will suffer a heart attack and he was doing so much research he was trying to because this covers a certain period of time over the years he was trying to drop in symptoms that would lead to a heart attack in his portrayal of his the role and he was sitting down with the director adam mckay talking about this a lot and then adam mckay realized when he was directing him that he is starting to notice some of these symptoms in himself and he then went to an a and e turns out he was on the verge of having a heart attack 
Now, if Christian Bale didn't do that amount of research into his work, who knew what happens to Adam McKay? Anyway, Adam McKay has basically said, Christian Bale's acting has saved my life. Wow. What a man. Well, apart from shouting at lighting staff, but other than that, what a man. Oh, he can... No, I don't know. I don't want to say people can get away with bad behaviour if they're good actors, but, but I love him. I think there's there's not a bad Christian Bale movie, in my opinion, even the Terminator one, which a lot of people slate. You know, I still love, to this day, like, I love the film The Prestige, which I know on the IGN podcast, they always talk about how much they love it, and I, I, I can't wait to hear their live show they're doing about specifically about this film. But there's one there's one line where Christian Bale's arguing with um, with Hugh Jackman, and it's like a tit for tat thing, and he just goes, "Oh, so, so you know knots, do you? Do you know knots?" And that that line is stuck in my head <laughs> for years. I can't help it. Every time someone says something, sometimes I just in my head go, "Yeah, but do you know knots?" <laughs> He's one of those actors that it's like the seal of approval, isn't it? You just know it's going to be a good one if he's chosen to do it. I think Brad Pitt had a similar era. Um, 10, 15 years ago where he was just whacking out. He was just picking awesome parts in awesome movies. Mm. Yeah, definitely. He'd done an interview for, I believe it was GQ this week, Christian Bale, where they were on the on the couch with him and, and um, oh, was it Amy Adams. Yes, Amy Adams. They seem to work together on a lot of things. They must, they must obviously know they work together very well. And um, he picks roles so randomly because they're like, oh, why, why have you picked this role? And it's like, don't you think of Christian Bale when you hear Dick Cheney? And everyone laughed, obviously. And uh, he said, no, it was the scripts that absolutely blew him away. And he rung up the director and said, you know, you bastard, you've, you've sent me something here I can't turn down. So, like I say, I don't think he ever puts his name to anything bad. I, and when he goes when he goes for a role, he goes balls deep. I loved it. Have you seen American Hustle? Yes, I love that movie. It's brilliant. Yeah, he is so good in that film, right? Like he really does throw himself at a role. So, and he's—I he's, reckon he's going to do the same again. Um, I generally think he doesn't get the recognition he deserves for what he puts himself through for his roles. But anyway, moving on from that. So Sylvester Stallone. Uh, what can be said that hasn't already been said about him? We review later on in this podcast Creed Two, which you know, spoiler alert, is chuffing amazing. He has come out and said that he is done playing Rocky. He has been playing this role for forty-two years. 42 years let's let that sink in he's been doing that role for so long it is part of his soul it is part of his being being that person you can't imagine a boxing movie without comparing it in some size shape or form to the Rocky universe and that is due to the character that's like created um if anyone has read his autobiography, you'll know that he actually when he had the original screenplay he could have sold it for a thousand dollars with the condition that he would never pick up a role in it, he sold it, but and he was like, no, I'm not selling this. Um, if I'm making this film, I'm making this with me playing the character because I believe so much in this, uh, this property and in this character. He sold his dog to pay for uh, enough money to be able to start filming that project. So, I mean, for him to say he's walking away from that, he's obviously walking away from a bit of his soul from that perspective. And the reason why is because he believes that the franchise is now in good hands with Michael B. Jordan and the team around him that are making those films. And bully for him, he does go out on an amazing swan song. This is not a spoiler for what happens to Rocky in this universe. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go into detail as to why. But uh, him saying that he has done is not a spoiler as what happens in the movie. But what, what can you say, John, to a guy who's played a character for 42 years? Yeah, and what a legendary character. I mean, it's amazing to think it will probably span lifetimes, that sort of thing. You know, uh, 
eighty years time, our great grandkids going to be enjoying Rocky movies. That's pretty pretty cool for. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of of uh, stuff that has survived the ages, what was your favourite author when you were a kid? Uh, Roald Dahl or Michael Rosen, <laughs> the Michael oh, Rosen oh, well, rap. That's a deep. No, I don't that? remember that guy. Or uh, maybe R.L. Stein, who I, I, similar to Stephen King, I don't think you exist, sir. I think you're just a name people put on books to sell it. <laughs> anyway, that aside, Roald Dahl. Um, Netflix, we've got some Netflix news for you. They have acquired the rights to make a TV, an animated show set in the universe of the Roald Dahl books. So think about, um, similar to what Castle Rock done in terms of a live-action show set in the ethos of all characters and things around the books of Stephen King. Netflix are doing this with animation for the works of Roald Dahl. So imagine uh, a story where it might happen in the orphanage that Matilda grew up in and on TV is an advert for Willy Wonka and there's a tortoise that belongs to the lady who lived in the apartment building and up in the sky was the great grass elevator you know you can start building this massive narrative and universe around it and i for one cannot wait to see this it sounds amazing is it is it going to be a kind of like cheap nod to each bit and then just moving on though or i guess it needs to be its own thing doesn't it so a bit of substance yeah i think because so many different movie companies have the rights to make so many different Roald Dahl books I don't think it is going to be literally this week it's Danny the champion of the world hanging out with Charlie because A those characters are, are owned by other other media outlets to an extent and the portrayals of them and then you get into murky territory of well Willy Wonka isn't actually Gene Wilder so you don't have yeah you don't you can get him to kind of look like him but don't have to and Roald Dahl didn't actually do is nothing to do with the song uh, uh imagination or whatever so there's lots of different licensing discussions that probably need to be had I think it's and it's that necessity that will drive good writing I think there will be characters that will live in the same world as these characters in the book but not necessarily direct relations to them so it might be a like as an example a child who's in the same school as Matilda Miss Trunchbull might be the the, the teacher at the or sorry the, the, the principal of the school but you never see them that sort of thing um, which, like I say, it encourages creative writing, creative problems to write your way out of, and if you've got good, talented people behind it, they'll pull it off. Yeah, I mean, what a, what a palette to to use with a show. I mean, yeah, count me excited. Yeah, and it's going to be animated as well, which means you know you can kind of suspend disbelief a lot easier from that perspective. So um, the only thing is, I'm going to have to end it on a down note. Is that uh, I've got a comment on this because I'm a massive Marvel fan, as many of our listeners know, and uh, we gave a five gl- five star glowing review to Daredevil season three. We even got invited to participate in some of the press stuff for that as well, where we got to meet some pretty cool people. Um, but they have canned Daredevil. Even though it is probably in the best place it's ever been in terms of fandom, the best place it's ever been in terms of ratings, the best place it's ever been in terms of cast, the best place it's ever been in pretty much every sense of the word. Um, unfortunately, Netflix are tr- keeping very stum on this. I asked for a comment and they have not sent any comment back. But unlike Avatar, they have not blocked me. So that's always a plus. But um, yeah, unfortunately, they have decided that now's the time to stop. Disney have come out and said that we will be seeing The Man Without Fear again, which is code for 
we want the property back on our streaming service and we're not going to use any of the original material that Netflix has been doing, unfortunately, uh, which is a crying shame. If you have not seen this TV show, and I know you might be adverse to, to the superhero stuff, suspend that for a moment and just try Daredevil. It is so, so good. As I said before in the review, it is probably the best superhero TV show ever. There's now only ever going to be three series of it, so you don't have to commit to too much. And the cast is absolutely stellar. It is a crying shame, and I think it was a decision that was taken out of Netflix's hands rather than Netflix deciding this. But that uh, that's that's my take on it anyway. Uh, John, are you? Do you care, or is this something? Are you going to give this a look, or now it's cancelled? There's no point. No, it's, it's passed me by, mate. No time. Sorry, can't catch up with that. Fair enough. Anyway, that's your news for this week. If we don't do what we love, then we wouldn't exist. It's time, kid. Creed 2 is actually the eighth film in the Rocky saga. Uh, this is basically the sequel to the film that came out a couple of years ago. Uh, if everyone remembers their Rocky timelines appropriately, you'll know that Creed is the son of Apollo Creed, the man who died in a, in Rocky 4, uh, who was a, a an adversary to Rocky, but then becomes his trainer and then ultimately his best friend. And uh, uh, Dantas Creed is a illegitimate son that was never, uh, never thought of or discovered until he becomes a promising boxer anyway fast forward i think it's supposed to be about four years later we are now in creed 2 so basically adonis is on the cusp of becoming world heavyweight champion of the world he still has rocky as his trainer rocky has overcome his bout of cancer and this is trying to be the spiritual uh, sequel to rocky 4 whilst also being a sequel to creed now um Rocky, it's fair to say, is a bit patchy in terms of the good ones and the bad ones. When they're good, it's very, very good. It is genre setting. You cannot compare any boxing movie without comparing it to Rocky, whether that being one, two, three, or four. Uh, but after that, it goes, Meh. and um, Creed was a real sort of revitalization to the, the franchise. Uh, Sylvester Sloan was not directing it. It, was, it introduced us properly to Ryan Coogler, who went on obviously to do Black Panther and is going on to do even more amazing things. This time round for Creed 2, this is being directed by a gentleman called uh, Stephen Cable Jr. Uh, Sylvester Stallone is a producer on this one and Ryan Coogler actually did write this movie. So it's still got the DNA of the first Creed movie in this as well. So as mentioned before, Adonis is now... Uh, on the cusp of becoming heavyweight world champion and uh, for the first time and it it, it starts from there really uh, cast wise it's a lot of returning characters from creed one so tessa thompson which by the way deserves a massive shout out in this film she is so talented i didn't know that she can sing as well so not only has she got the the awesome uh, repertoire of being in westworld being in for ragnarok by being in in creed as well as a host of all other stuff not to mention the new men in black movie that's coming out soon she's actually talented as fuck she can sing she can portray anything she's absolutely incredible in this and basically adonis uh, becomes heavyweight champion of the world but then out of nowhere coming out from the ukraine is good old dalf lundrum that is right ivan draco aka the bad guy from rocky 4 is back with his son wanting to challenge adonis now as mentioned before uh, Ivan K 
killed Apollo Creed in Rocky IV. Obviously, there's a big emotional attachment to this. I'm not going to go into much plot points from that point onwards because I don't want to. I don't want to ruin anything. But this film, I come out of the cinema just going, "This is the best Rocky movie ever." Like, there's, it's got all the things you loved about Rocky and all the things you loved about Creed. Which, by the way, if you've not seen Creed, it is available on Netflix at the moment. I highly recommend it. If you're a boxing guy, you'll love it. If you're not into your boxing but you just want to see a really interesting take on the boxing genre without it being too punchy it's for you as well like there is so much to be had there ryan coogler is an absolute visionary and this is this was the first stake to that claim and i thought it was absolutely brilliant this capitalizes on that all that good work all those foundations laid um, there is an underlying story of Tessa Thompson's character, Bianca. She is an up-and-coming musician who suffers from a, a unfortunate condition, which means she will be losing her hearing, and that story continues onwards in the film as well. Um, Soundtrack-wise, obviously, you know you can't talk about the spiritual successor to Rocky IV without talking about the soundtrack. You know, you think of the classics like uh, "Living in America" and obviously the "Hearts on Fire." Yep, it's in your head now. Um, this had a lot to live up to from that perspective. This does not try to go down the '80s cheese route. It continues on the color palette of music which was in creed one and it amplifies that there's a beautiful remix of the original rocky montage theme with the music style of creed and it's delivered so well michael b jordan as we know we already know he's so consistently brilliant he is consistently excellent in this he's in amazing shape as he's in that black panther shape uh, which he had to be to play uh, the bad guy in that he still carries that into this film he looks incredible he really plays the part i i watch a lot of boxing i've become a bit of a boxing fan over the last a few years and you know i i generally love this film i thought the boxing choreography was absolutely fantastic obviously fight choreography and boxing choreography are kind of two different things because what looks good in a boxing ring from an actual boxing perspective does not look good in terms of an action movie so obviously it is more tailored towards the action style but you still appreciate the art that has gone into that and um, sylvester stallone this is his swan song as as uh, the the legend himself rocky and he gives what i believe to be an oscar worthy performance he emotes so well he leaves everything on the screen he knows this is his last time portraying the character and he wants to go out this way doing these scenes part of this narrative and he does it so so well i nearly cried on several occasions on every time he spoke it was with such gravitas and such human emotion behind it that everything he said was a life lesson everything in there was inspirational everything was fantastic and it wasn't in it wasn't in a cheesy way it was just done in relation to the character every time sly puts on that hat puts on that jacket and starts talking a bit like that's a terrible example but when he starts putting the voice on it's just you feel the emotion you feel every day of those 42 years he has spent playing that role and he's absolutely breathtaking Dalf Lundrum back as Ivan which is absolutely fantastic he has more lines in this than I think he has in his entire acting career he plays the role really well as well now just as a bit of backstory after the events of Rocky IV Ivan unfortunately went back to his home country as a pariah was uh, chucked out literally uh, had to go live in the Ukraine because he was an outcast of his country and raised his son in those sort of conditions which leads to the person picking up the role of Victor Drago his son uh, that was actually played by a guy called Florin Mantino he's a, a, a I think a UFC fighter or is a trained fighter they've gone down that route for that he obviously 
uh, doesn't do much talking this because he's not much of an actor. He's obviously there to be a big intimidating presence, which he definitely is in this film. Um, I can't give this more higher praise than that. This is in probably my top one of my top three movies of the year. Um, it's got to, it's got to be a five. It's absolutely fantastic. If you like if you like the Rocky movies in any size, shape, or form, you're going to love this. If you've never heard of the Rocky movies before. I probably won't jump in on this one. I'll probably start at Creed, but this is a definite worthy successor to Creed. It is five out of five. Awesome. Can't wait to say it. Now you know what you're fighting for. Round after round. First of all, thank you for having the patience to keep listening to us, even though we haven't produced anything for a couple of weeks. So thank you for that first and foremost. But if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast and this is the first time you've listened to us and you want to listen to more of us, please click on the like, subscribe, follow, whatever button it is that means you get more content from Talk Filmy to Me. I'd like to thank my boy, my my main man, my co-host, the guy who I have done 50 podcasts with. John, how can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Descomento. And like I say, you can follow us on Twitter at film with me the account will be up and running back to normal uh, as of tomorrow and um, people if you do get a chance because it's tuesday today in the uk uh, we'll probably get this up and edited by wednesday or thursday uh, we've got a few guest slots happening uh, between now and the new year of people that'll be joining us from other podcasts i'll announce them on twitter and uh, yes apologies because you're probably going to be listening to this just after the new avengers trailer hits and uh, we'll just pretend we've seen it weren't that good john how great was that trailer it was amazing. I can't. I can't wait to see the movie. I mean, that bit with the thing. Yeah. How the duck turning up and 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 turns out George Clooney's now been cast <laughs> in it. Amazing. Kevin Spacey makes his return to form. Incredible. And on that bombshell, stay filmy till next time. Talk filmy to me.